watching prohibition fall down. What's up, DGC? Doing a hang here. Hang, hang with Soup the Gardener, Scotty Real, talk and grow. Yeah, <laughs> Scotty don't what's grow. <laughs> what's up, dude? What's up, Soup? We're getting what's up is we haven't been giving much love on dudegrows.com to the DGC guides. If you guys are over on dudegrows.com, there's a navigation called DGC Guides. Soup's been putting some great content up over there. Uh, today, we wanted to talk about two different articles. You had a great one on deciding on growing with seeds or clones. Grower perspective there, you know, what's your better start? And then taking that into, if you're motivated, uh, making your own seeds, you know, creating your own future and having some security and growing. Be your future. Make your future. Hmm? Yes, exactly. But I wanted to get, go ahead. Yeah, well, just thanks for having me on, guys. And thanks for giving me a chance to talk about these articles. We've worked hard on the guide section, me and Maestro. And, you know, we got Bruce Banner helping us with it, too. And the guide section's really coming along. So I appreciate the chance to get to highlight some of these awesome articles. Yeah, we do take that for granted, I will say. Those guides, you've been piling up. I don't know. There's a few articles over there, and they're freaking good. We do do good uh, short-form content at a half hour, an hour per show. But, man, that comprehensive, just the whole full guide that you can start and finish, and by the time you read it, let's take 15 minutes to read it, and you really get what you're talking about. So these are really cool. Yeah, Let's hop right into this because uh, as a grower – I don't really know the solid answer. I think I lean towards seeds. If somebody's asking me, maybe it's a new grower saying, how should I start? And accessibility can be a factor there, what you can get. Um, I guess I do say if your buddy has a clone that he's been growing and can guide you through its nutritional needs and what that plant's growing characteristics are like because they have a history with it, mm-hmm. that's pretty beneficial. Yeah, well, so I wrote this article because I know there's a lot of people in places like Colorado and California and Canada where you can grow now all of a sudden, you know, people are excited to be able to grow. And then you go to start your first grow and you're like, well, okay, where do I get my plants from? You know, do I go buy some seeds? Do I try to get clones from a dispensary? And no. Yeah. Well, and really there's pros and cons to everything, you know, there's like, it's always a, it's always a trade-off, you know? And so there's some advantages if you want to go with clones and there's some kind of advantages to starting with seeds. So I just thought it was important to kind of talk about those advantages and kind of give people a chance to decide for themselves, you know, what's the best thing for my situation. And, you know, like you said, sometimes you don't really get a choice, right? Like if you're in prohibition land, you'll grow whatever the hell you can get. Right. And thumbs up, like you totally should. I'll Um, give you, you got pros and cons here listed, yeah. which we'll get into here. I wanted to say one one pro. I don't know if you, know, you don't have listed as a grower. When you put a seed, when you plant a seed into the <laughs> earth, when you plant a seed in your container, and after you're sitting there, I've been doing this for a long time, but I still get so excited. I'm watching the container. I'm like, okay, watch it. Watch it at the end of the day. Watch it in the middle of the day. To see that seedling come up and break the surface of the soil is very satisfactory or satisfying. We could almost go erotic with it. All right, Scotty. I agree with that, but that can also be like a really scary moment though, too. If you're a new grower and you're like, man, I really want this crop to work. You know, I really need this medicine or I really like need this grow to work out. And you're worried like, oh man, is this seed going to pop? Is it going to be any good? Are these going to be terrible genetics? You know, you might not know. Right. Does it need CalMag? What? Does it need CalMag? It doesn't need cow mag. Well, yeah. And so like choosing from getting a, like a known clone, getting a clone that you know is going to be dank. If you can get a clone from a friend or even a clone, like I said, from a dispensary in some cases, if you can get a good one and if you can, uh, you know, be careful about how you buy and things like that, 
you know, starting from clone gives you the advantage of like, you know what you're going to get kind of, you know, what, what kind of quality you're going to get. And it kind of puts you ahead in the timeline a little bit. So, but you know, there are advantages to seeds to clones over seeds, but there's advantages to seeds over clones too. Bigger man. When you first time I've come from clones, you know, I would always get cuts from friends. And then the first time I popped a seed, couldn't believe how vigorous it was, how it just, yeah. yeah I mean, that, that is something, I don't know. Do you think the clones lose their vigor over time? And guru, I know you got an opinion on this too. Um, well, I always say clone vigor depends on the health of the mother in a lot of ways. And there, there is, uh, uh, an effect that happens. Hybrid vigor is a real thing when it happens with seeds, where when you combine two very different types of genetics, right. you will get a boost in vigor in that next generation. So you don't have that with clones. So that is kind of an advantage to seeds. Uh, but I mean, another way to think about it with clones though, too, is you're starting like two or three weeks ahead of a seed, right? If you get a, if you start from a fully rooted clone, you can pop that baby in soil and you'll be flowering like in a couple weeks, you know, whereas a seed is kind of a little bit more of a time investment. Um, you know, you got to kind of let it, let it, you know, go for a few more weeks just to get it to be the same size as a clone. I like, to think, a seed. I like to think about it like the lottery almost uh, with mm -hmm. seeds where uh, depending on the quality of the breeder and the amount of breeding that gets, that's gone into it, you're either on like a win every three scratch card, or if it's just F2s, you're kind of on a like, <laughs> playing the Virginia lottery and your odds are one in 190 million or whatever of getting right. some dank where, I mean, it, it really depends on the quality of the seeds, how often you're going to get a winner out of a pack. Yeah. And if you're a new grower, that might be kind of intimidating. You know, if you're like not used to buying seeds and you don't really understand how all that works yet, you know, there can be some advantages to buying a clone and you can say, yeah. Or, or another fun thing I've heard of too, is like, I heard of two friends that decided to start to grow together at the same time, or they each started, you know, got their own tents and were doing their grows together. And they went to the dispensary and got the same clone. So that way they're, they know they're growing the same thing and they can kind of like compare notes with each other. And I'm like, that's really cool. You know, being able to share that growing experience of growing the exact same plant with somebody else is a cool thing that comes with clones that you don't get with seeds. So I think one of the pros here of seeds is pests. I've gotten clones when I started uh, back in the day after working at hydro stores, I was like, what do I do now before the podcast? I was like, oh, I'll try a little consulting. You know, I know enough to consult some newer growers. Went and got clones from the dispensaries. I have never even heard of root aphids at this time. <laughs> and there's root aphids in the rock wool. Uh, so you say pest potential is almost eliminated with seeds, but not completely. Like there could be a few like little no. buggers that hang on a seed or what? No way. Um, it's really more disease. A disease can still be transmitted via seeds or some diseases can. Um, pests is a lot less likely, obviously. But but if we're talking about like like pests and diseases is kind of lumped together, sure. there is still some disease risk with seeds. So that's something to consider. But yeah, in general, choosing seeds is a much like safer way. You know, if you're bringing in something new to your garden, if you're bringing in new genetics, uh, it's much safer to bring in new seeds than it is to bring in clones from an outside source. It, um, I, I'm curious about the, the difference in root structure. Guru and I will talk about this frequently, mm -hmm. how when you have a seed, you've got a big taproot that goes down. When you have clones, you don't have that same taproot. And yeah. Yeah, I mean, do you find that changes, you know, the bud structure, the stru overall structure of the plant or shape of the plant? It can change the, sh the structure of the plant. But one thing I've really noticed personally as an indoor grower is it doesn't really play a huge role in my grow. 
So gotcha. I think outdoors, this might be a much bigger deal, especially if you're planting in the ground. I think right. if you're planting directly in the ground, having a nice tap root that's going to go straight down. You would think. That's well, huge. That's a huge advantage. And in and a pot indoors, in, especially in small pots, I'm not really convinced that a tap root is a huge advantage. Right. And it especially doesn't matter in something like a root pruning pot. Um, mm-hmm. where that taproot is very quickly going to hit the bottom, prune off, and turn right. in, in tertiary root and secondary root out all throughout the pot. But soup is right. In like the field, in native soil, in the ground, a taproot is very important, in, especially in like a field crop like that. They learned with the huge hemp fields where they tried to propagate and plant everything out with, with, with propagations that they had uh, much smaller root masses than plants that were seeded out into the field and had much higher success rates on plants that were seeded out in the field. And it did have to do with that taproot. But in containerized gardening, you can almost consider it like a, a moot. It doesn't really matter. Yeah, I that's, say, been, that's been my experience too. The For me, seeds, much more fun. Like you said, you're like, oh, I don't know exactly what's going to happen with this one. Maybe it's going to give me a different trait. Uh, but it depends. What's your goal as a grower? Exactly. Growing commercially. I got to rebut straight for weight. I got to rebut when, when Jaron came over and and gave me a cut of the Mac, I was so excited to have that, to actually know what I was looking forward to and saying, Hey, if I do this right, I will get this crazy, frosty, delicious bud out of it. Um, So just having an unknown is maybe it's fun for you adventurers over there, but uh, yeah. (laughs) Yeah, Well, that's why I love this conversation because I think it has so much to do with like, what are your goals as a grower? Right. And like, so for, for Scotty, you know, if you're just trying to get dank, consistent weed, fuck yeah, man, get an awesome clone of something like the Mac or get a clone of something that you know is going to be dank and grow the shit out of it. But if you're like the dude, or if you're someone like, I tend to follow more on the adventure side of things too, where I love the, the discovery aspect of seeds. I love being able to try something new or discover new genetics that nobody's ever grown before. That's really fun for me. And so if you're into that, seeds can be a blast, man. Seeds are so much fun. But like you said, not everybody's looking for that fun. Not everybody's looking for a project. You know, not everybody's looking for an adventure. You know, some people just want to grow dank weed. So, you know, it's all what, what are your priorities and what are your goals? But do you start with it? When I think about growing things, I think about buying tomato seeds or, you know, that's kind of how people think of growing plants. I guess you grow Mm -hmm. starter, you do buy some starter plants at Home Depot or whatever. But when I first thought about growing cannabis, I went over to Amsterdam and my brother Tripp brought over some seeds. You know, we didn't, I guess there was just was no clone choice whatsoever. It was the only So just to give you like the opposite of that. So when I first started growing, I didn't really have anywhere to buy seeds actually. Uh, it was a pain in the butt to get seeds shipped to me. And I was actually living with my parents at the time. So didn't really want to get seeds mailed to the house. Um, but there was lots of dispensaries in town that had great genetics that had like these award-winning clones. So that was how I started growing was going to the store and buying clones. And I didn't learn about seeds until a few years into my growing career, you know? And so I got started with clones because that's what was available to me. Right. But then later on, I was like, wow, seeds are different. And like each one's an adventure. I was like, holy crap, that's exciting. Like, let's get into that. And so it's really depends on like, what are your goals? And so, um, you know, another thing I like to bring up too, is like, I really think that everybody should try to build their skill set as a grower. You know, I really think it's important to know how to do all this stuff and to know, you know, how to start a seed, but you should also know, you know, how to plant a clone and you should also know how to take your own clones and make your own seeds. And sure. I really think as growers, we should try to build our own knowledge and our own skills so we can do all of these things just because that makes us better growers in general. Ganja security. 
not always yeah. going to have a place to go buy seeds or get <laughs> right. seeds delivered. Or Exactly. That's a perfect transition because we want to cover this other article you had in the DGC guides on dudegrows.com. Check out the DGC guides. They are searchable as well. They have their own little search engine, I think, within. Man, uh, yeah. so good. I'm very proud of that. I'm very proud of the work you and Maestro did, Soup. Great work, brother. Yeah, that page is looking good. And there's a lot of guides there and they're divided all by category too. So if you're looking for like to learn about a specific thing, you can go there and, you know, look for that category and see, you know, some, some stuff we haven't gotten to yet, but we're slowly building out that section with more and more content. So if it's not there yet, it's coming soon. Love it. This one's titled make your own cannabis seeds on my list of haven't done. Don't know if I will. Hopefully soup, you'll convince me to make yeah. my own cannabis seeds. I think sometimes people are like, this is valuable real estate. And I figured like, I'm just going to have seeded bud, man. Can I even smoke it? Or it's like- a commitment, man. It's just what Soup said before. It depends what you want. If you're out there yeah. trying to pay the bills with, with free market weed, probably not so much. But if you're just having fun, trying to create something cool, or you got to want to hook up your friends or fuck, you got a 20 acre field that you're looking to have some fun with. <laughs> mm. Yeah. Like, I mean, it's important to keep that in mind that like not all these projects are for everybody, right? Like making seeds that might not be your thing, but I just think it's cool to learn the skill. So I always try to encourage people to learn this stuff, even if you're not going to get super into it, even if you're not going to become a big breeder or whatever, like it's just a good skill to have in your toolbox of skills, you know? No, most definitely. Most definitely. Well, what's the case on this? Why I mean, other than I was saying ganja security, I mean, don't get me wrong. It's nice to have a jar of seeds around if you need it or if you want to use them. But uh, yeah, let's get into this article. It's just a straight up, you have a, a great how-to here and like why. Well, we, we could start there. I mean, we do cover that. Why do I want to make my own seeds? And it sounds hard to me. I'm intimidated at first by thinking mm-hmm. the process is hard to manipulate nature on. Yeah. Well, that's like one of the cool things in my mind about making seeds too, is like, if you think about it, the plants want to make seeds. Yeah. You can <laughs> you know, do it accidentally. We, yeah. Like we're getting in the way of it making seeds most of the time. Like Good so point. much of what we do in growers is to try to stop them from making seeds, whereas they really want to make seeds. So it's really not a difficult process. What becomes difficult is when you start trying to guide the process, right? When you start trying to say, I'm not just trying to make seeds. I'm trying to make seeds that do this or I'm trying to make seeds that have this trait, or I'm trying to, and that's really the difference between making seeds and breeding. And to me, those are like two different, but similar things, right? Like, so making seeds is kind of the first step you have to learn if you want to be a breeder, right? You have to learn the mechanics of like, here's how you take a female plant and a male plant and get them to make seeds. Is that, is that IE chucking pollen? Is that what you would call right. that? <laughs> Yeah. And like, okay. so a lot of people call that pollen checking. And honestly, like, I don't think there's anything wrong with pollen checking. I think we just need to be honest about what it is. So, and, and, and to be acknowledged the difference between pollen checking and actually breeding. So pollen checking or making your own seeds is a great fun thing to do. Uh, breeding is also really fun, but it's a lot more work and a lot takes a lot more time, a lot more patience usually takes several generations of plants being grown out to make something you really want. That's um, why when you people out there, you growers, I don't want to say you people, I probably can't say you that. Growers. <laughs> you growers out there, think about that on the price of seeds, man. Think about the good stuff that has consistency and how long it took to get there, man. Um, I mean, go and check out a great breeder that was on the show. I got his uh, Duke Diamond, Duke Grow Show. He was a great yeah. sit-in to explain some of this stuff. So, but sorry, I just had to get that out there. I used to bitch about the price of seed packs. I'm thinking like, when are they going to come like tomato seeds? But it's it's just, 
it's not the same. Yeah, it's important to acknowledge the work that goes into properly breeding seeds. And and not all breeders are kind of putting in all the work, to be honest. But it's important to take the people like Duke Diamond who are putting in the work to really make good seeds and really like to breed things, to try to create things. You know, we should really try to reward those people. So, yeah, I definitely agree with trying to, uh, you know, highlight the people that are doing the good work. It doesn't look scrolling through your article here that like to make seeds as far as like a money investment in certain equipment or anything that there's anything that's a financial barrier here. I need some very basic shit. Um, I need some space though, some space that where your plants are going to get seeded. So if you just got, let's touch on it just a little bit. Yeah. So probably like the first, the first step to um, making any kind of seeds, right. Is you have to pick some parent plants. So you have to have like a plant that you're going to get pollen from and you have to have a plant that you're going to pollinate. Um, so before you do any kind of, you know, pollen chucking or seed making project, that's your first step, right? Is you got to figure out who you're working with. Um, and there's a lot of, you know, and this is where breeding, you know, this is the difference between seed making and breeding where that comes up again is, you know, selecting parents is really critical when it comes to making, you know, breeding is, you know, the, what, what traits are you trying to pass on? Sure. Now, is that, are you using, I remember in seventh grade biology, we're actually doing genetics. What was it? A Krebs square guru? Do you remember? But it was dominant. Punnett squares. Re- Punnett square. Sorry. Yeah. It was, it was a seventh grade. It's amazing. Amazing. I remember any of it, but uh, it was dominant recessive traits. And there was like mathematical formulas for doing it and for percentages. Are you guys, is that what they're using? Is that what breeders are doing? Or is it more? Some of them. Some of them, some of the better ones in particular, in my opinion, like the more you dive into the science on breeding, the more you learn about that stuff, the more kind of skills that opens up to you as a breeder. I do think some of the more talented breeders are using punnett squares, are using things like that because they are valuable tools. But not all breeders, you know, use all these tools. Sure. Different I, breeders proceed with different methods, you know. Some and, of um, the more talented breeders are doing GMO stuff. Well, or even just doing genetic testing. Like to me, one of the like GMO stuff is kind of not that interesting to me, but I find what's really interesting is people using genetic testing to select parents, right? So if you can test a plant ahead Mm, of time and through its genes, identify that, Hey, this is an awesome parent. Like this, this plant is going to pass on the genes to make really terpy, really strong, like really vigorous plants. If we can identify those traits through DNA testing and then use that to select parents, that to me is super powerful. And so that's sure. another, like, it's not GMO, but it's using genetics as a tool. It's helping as a selection tool. It's, it's helping you make really informed decisions on your yeah. selections that you're doing. I know there's some Israeli biotech companies that license uh, computer software that you will put in as many different, uh, like, uh, genetics as you can and have it genetically mm-hmm. map everything and then it will That's know true. where each plant is where in the garden and be like all right if you want to get this is your outcome cross this with this take this and this offspring with these genetic markers cross them and you will get the thing that you're looking for cheating. Um, so it's, it's natural i mean it's cheating but you're using natural breeding techniques so you're not like implanting any dna yeah. from a foreign thing in there yes and you're to me, this just is making like the most f- exciting new development breeding like gmo stuff like i said i think that's not arrived yet i think there's a lot of problems with that still but with the the using genetic testing as a sifting tool using it as like a as a searching tool to help identify plants with potential sure that has so much power behind it. I mean, that's such a useful thing for breeders. So I'm really excited about the prospect of that in the future. 
Hey, I got. Uh, you might. Go I, ahead, want, Scott. I wanted to jump I'll, in for a second because while we're talking about seeds and parent selection, can we just try to briefly go over how to read a seed catalog and how to decode what all that means? F one, F two, back cross, self, all that stuff. Would we be able to do that real simply? You think? Probably not. <laughs> That's a huge topic. But well, what is um, what is F one and F two? Like just as far as variability goes, because you have to understand that if you're making seeds, correct? So an F1 is usually like when you cross two different plants for the first time, mm -hmm. that first generation is known as the F1. And so in that generation, you'll typically get a decent amount of variability. You'll get traits from one parent and you'll get traits from the other parent. I was going to say kinda, for... it's kind of like throwing them in the blender and mixing them all up and then spitting them back out again. You'll get a, a good distrib distribution of, of all those different traits in the parents. And, and generally it, it's going to follow like half of them are going to be very similar to the mom. Half of them are going to be very similar to the dad and that original F1. It's when you cross into F2s where the unicorns start to come out. Um, where there's right. the it becomes less and less like the mother and father and more like its own thing, and then there is much more genetic variability in that. It's kind of well, hard to explain why there's more without about the, the F2 square also is F2 is where you can also get traits coming through from previous generations. So with F2 seeds, you can actually get traits coming in from grandparents and things like that that you didn't necessarily see in the parent plants. So that's when it gets starts to get really wild with the family tree stuff. And so F with the F2 generation, you can see a lot of variability and that variability can be coming. You can see traits in the F2 that you never saw in the original parent plants, which is really interesting to me. Um, it's it, only after you get to like F3 that you really start to get any kind of stability in my in my experience. And to get those F1s and F2s and F3s, you're crossing them back with themselves? Is that what you're mm -hmm. doing? Or you're... Reading. Or uh, no, because crossing it back like that would be a uh, like a back cross. Right. Technically, right. you're so you're taking a mom and a dad that you selected completely unrelated to each other, uh, breeding them together. The first generation you get off of that is yep. your F1. Right. Um, you're going to take a male F1 and a female F1. Right. Cross it together. So it's the offspring of those parents. Cross them together, and the offspring of those will be your F2. And doing that further down the line uh, starts to add in more stability, right. but also starts to decrease the amount of vigor that you get from the plants. And that's why people talk about back crosses, where they'll cross it back to the original parent to try and increase that original vigor and to try and get it closer to that original parent strain so you can have something that breeds more true. All right, that's interesting. All right, we did that in a couple minutes at least. So F1, yeah. <laughs> very variable. F4, F5, as you get uh, higher up, in less variability, the more you're going to get what you're thinking about. Except for the F2. <laughs> right on, right on. Basically, yeah. Do we I want to make I want to make my yes, own sir. seeds, so I got a couple questions. Yeah, so let's move more on. I mean, that was that was breeding what no, we were just talking about. Like let's talk short. more about some seed making. Deal. You know how much I love the uh, F1 and F2s and back cross the X4. <laughs> yeah, dude loves when we talk about that stuff. <laughs> hey, can we do that? Cross that by PPFD? <laughs> <laughs> Say I'm going to try and make my own seeds. I need, I'm going to use a tent for my male. My male's going to create a bunch of pollen, correct? Is that space ruined forever? Like I'm at the, I got to be pretty <laughs> careful taking photo periods back in there if I want, right? Yeah, well, so your next step after you select parents is collecting pollen, right? So once you're ready to, once you have a male plant that you want to collect pollen from, then you need an isolated area where you can collect pollen from that plant. And so an extra grow tent works well, but you can also use, I mean, this is another fun thing about 
collecting pollen, in my opinion, is because you're not trying to grow like big dank buds or whatever on your plant, you can actually collect pollen in just like a little tiny closet or something. Like you can do a pollen collection in a little cabinet with like a nine watt LED. Um, because all you're trying to do is flower a male for like two or three weeks, which is long enough for him to start dropping pollen because we're, you don't need big juicy male flowers. All you need is a genetic sample. Okay. What if you can actually collect pollen in like a tiny little shoebox or something? If you just put a light in there and put a plant under 1212, it'll start to drop pollen within a few weeks. So you don't need much of a growth space, just a good enough environment, not a good enough environment. If your only goal is collecting pollen, yeah, you can make it really simple. And so I've collected pollen with like, I had an extra aquarium light that was like a 25 watt LED or something. I put that in a spare closet and just threw a male plant under it with in like a big tub. The tub was basically there to try to catch pollen. So it just wouldn't end up everywhere. Um, So I did that and it worked well. I've also lately been using a two by two grow tent. I use this tent here behind me actually is where I do my pollen collecting. Um, You don't worry about it cross-contaminating? Your other tent? I see there's two tents there. Um, not too much. I mean, another thing that I like to use too is timing's really important too, right? So if you don't do a pollen collection when you have plants in flower, yeah. then you probably don't have much to worry about. Um, so I try to just stagger the timing differently. So in the flower, in the you know, the bigger tent I have in this room, usually I'll have plants in veg if I'm doing a pollen collection. Well, so, when you do this, you don't have sensimelia in the end. Is this smokable? You're just basically picking the seeds out of the flower and you still got some good bud, right? Yeah, well, there's a couple of different ways to do this. And we're kind of skipping a few steps here. But one thing you can do with pollen is you can actually just selectively pollinate a few buds in your main grow. So once you do a pollen collection in like a little grow tent or something like that, then you've got a little pollen sample. And if you're very, very careful and you turn off all your fans, you can take a little paintbrush and take a little bit of that pollen and you can manually drop it on a few of your buds. And, and if you, you want to do it around like week three or four, when the buds are starting to just grow those white hairs and they're really like reaching out with little pom-pom hairs everywhere, that's about the right time to pollinate. And so if you go in there with like a little tiny ball and a pollen, vial of pollen and a paintbrush, you can very carefully apply pollen just to a few flowers. That's sweet. And then, yeah, so then, and then what I like to say is mark those flowers very carefully so you know where they are. And And then when you harvest, you pull those flowers aside, you can squish those couple flowers up and pull the seeds out of them and you'll get, you know, a couple dozen seeds to play with. And then you can still smoke the rest of the bud. Or if you want to make a crap ton of seeds, (laughs) you can fill a whole tent, which is what I've been doing. So if you want, if your goal is more to make more seeds, then yeah, maybe you're, you don't plan on smoking it. Maybe you plan, okay, this is going to be a seed crop and you do that as like a separate project. Um, But you can also, like I was saying, just pollinate a few buds of your main crop just to get a few seeds to play with. The main important thing there is just to be real careful when you're doing the pollination. Right. Yeah, I can see that going wrong. Yeah. Well, and another really important tip too is water neutralizes pollen. So if you get pollen wet, you basically ruin it. Gotcha. Um, So if you're trying to prevent pollen from spreading, if you're trying to not pollinate plants, or if you want to like keep your main crop from getting pollinated, you can use just a plain water spray as kind of a control. Right. You know, so if you're worried, so what you can do is, you know, you dust your one bud, you want to make seeds with pollen, and then you wait a good 24 hours. And then after 24 hours, go in your grow and just wash everything. Go in your grow just with like a spray gun full of, or a sprayer yeah. full of cold water and just give everything a good rinse. And that will wash off any excess pollen that's on any leaves or anything like that. 
And you can also, when you're done or, if, or your pollen collection area, if you want to clean that out, you can use just water to do that too. Cause water takes care of the pollen. So I do just want to point out that water takes care of the pollen in theory, a hundred percent of the time <laughs> in practice, uh, there can, you can definitely end up with some pollen moving around even after it's been exposed to water. Yeah. Well, so nothing's a hundred percent, True. you know, nothing, none of this is a hundred percent. And all of these things are, you know, and anytime you bring pollen into your grow, you're, I mean, you're risking seeds happen. Right. Um, so it's important to recognize that, but also I like to tell people, you know, a few seeds isn't going to kill you either. You know, if you, if your if your main crop gets a little pollinated and you end up with a few seeds in there, like, right. You're not going to die or anything. Like sure. you just have to pull a few seeds out. So. Most of the time it's thinking about why the seeds are there in the first place. If your seeds are there because you put the pollen in there and you know why they're in there and That's there's great. not that much of them, it's not that big a deal. If you didn't introduce any pollen and you have uh, pollinated or premature seeds in there or something it means something went hermaphroditic and it's you need to look at your grow environment and everything but if you put the pollen in there and those seeds are in there it is of no detriment to that grow like whatsoever at all i do have some friends that are doing some amateur breeding just messing around i'll get some yeah i'll get some flower from the big you might find a couple seeds here and there because the Mm -hmm. pollen does fly around there's no doubt about it what about us i mean do you get risque and let like multiple males (laughs) pollinate your female that's actually a really interesting breeding technique that you can use. I mean, that's, that's one of the things where like you can use all kinds of different techniques when you're trying to, that's where seed making and breeding start to separate. Right. When you're starting to talk about the different techniques of how, how to, how to do this. And um, yeah, if you're trying to like preserve genetics, like say you got, uh, you have, say you have a really cool old pack of seeds, like you found some awesome seeds from the seventies or something. And you want to try to preserve them or you want to try to like make more seeds of those because you're like, wow, these are really cool and not around anymore. How do I like get more of these seeds to play with? You can do an open pollination where you just take all the seeds in that pack, throw them in a tent together, the males and the females, let them all grow, let them all pollinate each other. And so, yeah, you'll have a mix of different traits and the right. mix of different males. But what you'll end up with is a bunch of seeds that are kind of representative of that seed pack. And so you'll kind of get, it's almost like giving yourself a, like some more seeds to play with. And, uh, and generally that's called cubing um, mm-hmm. in breeding and cubing out a room like that for, if your goal is genetic preservation, like soup is talking about and genetic variability, doing that in that open pollination is a really good way to get a ton of seeds, to be able to preserve some genetics that aren't around anymore. You're not really working towards a goal, like a breeding goal with right. it, other than that genetic preservation is what you get out yeah, of Yeah, your goal is to preserve as much as you can, right? Your goal is to try to pass along as, as all the genes in that seed pack that you can. The more, the better, because then that gives you more to hunt through further on. I dig, man. This is good information. I'm having a good time learning here. I'm actually getting motivated to... Uh, uh, it just, just doesn't sound as hard as I thought. I mean, I could literally just have one plant, pollinate a few buds on it, you know, control my exposure. And I'm not the grower that gets upset if I have a few seeds and some things. And uh, yeah, I dig. We're actually going to, I guess we're going to have uh, over on Patreon for the supporters. Soup has a how-to in detail uh, video on this process. So if you're interested in doing this and you want to get more in depth uh, and you're supporting the DGC, go on over there. It'll be up on Patreon for you. And uh, I didn't want to end it there if need be. I don't know what else. If you got some other things, Scotty, this has been a great conversation here. I'm learning. Yes, <laughs> you are. Could you take a back cross? Uh, could you know the difference between a self and a back cross, dude? Do you? I don't yet. <laughs> <laughs>
Well, so I just want to say too, like, um, you know, I, I think it's really great that people want to learn this stuff. It's just really important to always be honest when you're making seeds. That's another thing I just really like to tell people is, you know, it's okay to pollen check, but if you're going to give those seeds to people, you should tell them like, Hey, these are seeds I kind of was just fucking around with. I didn't put a ton of work into these. I haven't done a lot of testing with these. Right. So, you know, it's fine to do that. I just think it's really important to be upfront and honest with people about what you're giving them. You know, yeah. it's it's really important. If someone's going to take the time to grow out some seeds that you gave them, they're investing a ton of their time, a ton of their money, a ton of their resources to grow those seeds. So they deserve to know kind of what they're getting themselves into. I was going to so, say, anytime money gets thrown into the mix, exactly. that, that technically makes you a professional. If you're doing this at a professional level, you should not just be pollen chucking and hoping something right. good comes out of it. There should be some documentation and testing and stuff to back up um, what you have. And at least, I mean, some people, it kind of depends on what you're looking for when you're buying seeds. Some people look for F2s because they want right. the lottery chase sure. with it. Some exactly. people want something that's like as close to an IBL as it can and every seed come out the same. Like if you're a hemp farmer, you would want that. If you are someone that runs a dispensary, that variability might be cool, give you something different than what anyone else has. Sure. Yeah, so I just want to encourage people, you should all try to make your own seeds, but always be open and honest about what you're making, especially when you're giving them away. Yeah, is there any etiquette for that? I mean, that's it. Just to be honest, as as far as as, as far as uh, if you're, I don't know. I get I'll get tested. <laughs> that's what people. I consider the etiquette is okay. to be is to be, give people as much information you can and to be as honest with them as possible. You know, I I, I really like to see. I mean, dude, dude brought up Duke, Duke Diamond earlier, and one of the things I personally love about Duke Diamond and the way he does his breeding and stuff is he's great about giving people the information about his seeds. Right? Do you buy a pack of Duke Diamond seeds? On the back of it, it's got all kinds of information straight from Duke about, you know, how to grow it and what it likes and what it doesn't like. And right. So that's to me, like the more you can disclose with your seeds, the more information you can say about here's what this project is. Here's what you're buying. You know, here's what you're getting yourself into if you grow these. So that that's my bit of advice as far as like seed ethics and all that is just try to give people as much information as possible and always be honest about that information. One of my favorite things about Duke Diamond is his torture room that he has for breeding <laughs> projects where he literally has a room that it is just meant to throw everything you can that could potentially go wrong with a plant at it to see how it responds to different types of stress and stuff, which just as, as far as information for someone growing a plant, knowing that like it doesn't like to be topped, it likes to just grow as a single dominant cola or if it shouldn't get cold later on in flower or if it will herm if it gets watered with ice water. Like he's tested all of those things, which is pretty cool. Yeah, that's awesome. And that's, like I said, we should reward the people doing that work for sure. Right on, right on. I'm having a good time. I just got, you look like you're having a good time, some, dude. some strange <laughs> weed here, taking it in. Um, oh, one other question. I do actually want to, we don't have to take it fully there. How many seeds roughly, can you give me any numbers I can get off plants? Like how many numbers uh, can I get a in? A lot. <laughs> it varies. It <laughs> Too varies many? by a lot. Well, let me just put you this way. I recently did a two by four tent that I fully pollinated the shit out of it, trying to just make a ton of seeds. I haven't like literally counted each one, but I'm guessing that that resulted in about 4,000 seeds. What? Yeah. So, Jeez. uh, it, and, and that varies. It depends on the strain. I mean, some strains are known for not really making a lot of seeds or, or they can be difficult right, to make yeah. pollen or they can be difficult to breed. Um, you're going but with rich. easier plants. Yeah. Like I said, I mean, I've got a big ass jar of seeds that came out of that two wow. by four tent. So wow. it's kind of amazing what you can do. And even if you just pollinate like one little bud in your grow with a paintbrush, 
that can give you like 20 to 50 seeds. If you've got like a good solid bud and you pollinate it thoroughly. Hey, and so, always remember it's strain dependent what happens. Cause yeah, yeah you can get definitely. something where one plant getting it pollen and everyone smoke <laughs> on the strain dependent. You can get one plant where it's pollinated and it puts off thousands and thousands of seeds, or you can have one Mac one that you completely pollinate and it puts off 50. Right. <laughs> so there, there is just, uh, I mean, it's something that's cool about everything is that there's so much variability and stuff. You kind of have to test it out and see how it works for yourself. You said Mac one. Look at that Mac and cheese, brother. Be nice, huh? <laughs> Dispensary stepping it up. Yeah. So Hell I just yeah. want to really encourage everybody to try, try making their own seeds. And the article, like the dude said, the article is up in the DGC guide section. And that goes through the whole process kind of in even more detail than we talked about today. And as the dude said, I actually made a video where I narrate the whole article. So if you want to hear me explain how to make seeds, go join the patrons, man. We've got a video for you. Yeah. Grows.com forward slash support. Don't forget yeah. growerslove.com. Soup. Everybody check out growerslove.com. And yeah. yeah, DGC guides at the top. I think that was a good, a good hang. And I am motivated for something I have never done in the grow. Not, I'm not trying to just yet. I got a few other things to get out of the way, but uh I love to make some seeds. Maybe we'll talk about feminizing them in the next conversation. Yeah, that's like a whole nother conversation. Like this is one of the things I love about growing cannabis is there's always so many new things to learn, right? Like you could grow for decades and never learn how to make seeds. You could learn for decades and like never learn how to do any of this stuff. But there's just all these different niches you can go into if you're into it, like making your own regular seeds, feminized seeds, so many different directions you can go. Couldn't you just feminize your 4,000 seeds and then just... But you'd be like rich, man. Could have. <laughs> you could, man. People do. All right. Take it easy, everybody. Peace out, dudegrows.com. Thanks, Soup. Nice hanging, Scotty. Real. And uh, I'm going to bounce. I'm going to bounce. I'm a little irony there. I'm strange. Oh. Take it easy, dude. Thanks a lot, Soup. Yeah, thanks, guys. Thanks for having me. Some people love to blaze up the deck. Yeah, we get happy for noon. Take a little break That means we're lighting up a dude It's just weed It's just weed I like to keep a good buzz on, on, on It's just weed It's just weed In my toolbox there's a bomb Some people start their day off with a pill It's what the doctor says to do They shake their heads and now True medicine, go ahead and try something new. It's just weed, it's just weed. I like to keep the good vibes on. It's just weed, it's just weed. I like to smoke it out be loud. Okay, wait.